I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Eric Weinick. In addition to co-founding law firm Otterborg's privacy and cybersecurity practice, Eric was recently appointed by the U.S. Secret Service's New York field office to serve on the New York, New Jersey Cyber Fraud Task Force Steering Committee. So, Eric, tell us a little about your new role on the U.S. Secret Service Cyber Fraud Task Force Steering Committee. What kind of work does that steering committee do, and what do you hope to contribute? Sure. I'm very excited about joining the group. The task force has been around in some shape or form since following 9-11, but recently the Secret Service has decided to uh, infuse some new blood and bring in representatives from academia, the private sector, and the public sector to, as the title suggests, steer the work of the task force. The, The goal of the task force is to bring together the public and private sectors to combat threats to information security. So traditionally, the task force has met several times a year and had speakers and conferences and uh, the exchange of information and networking. And now the steering committee is going to take that horse by the reins and try to mobilize folks a little bit more, especially coming out of the pandemic where uh, we haven't been able to meet in person and as frequently and try to increase interests in the sharing of information so that we can better protect information. So with that said, what sort of cyber fraud and criminal cyber trends are you sort of keeping an eye on in the healthcare sector? What's most disturbing to you these days and why? Just the general threat against healthcare is is disturbing, obviously, because even more so than organizations that might see a business disruption in terms of dollars and cents. Obviously, healthcare is, if not one of the, but the most critical piece of infrastructure in the country. And when we witness attacks on the electronic systems that support healthcare, we see the endangerment of of human life. And so that it's very concerning that hospitals and healthcare systems continue to be targets, both by threat actors who are motivated by profit and threat actors who are motivated by politics or social causes or, or some other motivation. And it's that latter group that's really concerning because while there are those who might take issue either from a legal or moral or ethical standpoint for paying a ransom to free yourself from a ransomware attack. If the person perpetrating the crime is not motivated by money, then simply buying them off is not going to be sufficient to restore the systems uh, for that healthcare entity. And in fact, we're learning that more and more ransomware attacks are not uh, what we've traditionally seen where the data is locked up and you're prevented from accessing your data or your systems, and then you pay the ransom and you regain access. But instead, these threat actors are actually destroying the data so that there's no way to restore it. And Eric, what about the pandemic? What are some of the cyber fraud issues that have emerged from the pandemic that are most challenging for the healthcare sector these days? And then you also mentioned sort of the political climate 
There's a lot of controversy about what the Supreme Court might rule in terms of Roe versus Wade. A lot of heavy feelings on both sides, potential for hacktivism, I guess, at some healthcare entities. What do you predict might happen? What's your advice? So taking the question about the pandemic first, and I've, I've mentioned this several times during the pandemic, we've just seen an explosion in the number of either new entities or new people involved in not just the delivery of healthcare, not just the testing of people for COVID and other maladies, but the people handling healthcare-related information, such as someone's vaccine status or their health insurance information. And those systems have been built out very rapidly, and they've been built out to maximize capacity and or maximize profit. And they haven't always been built with security in mind. And we always encourage people that are starting a new endeavor. It's much easier and much more efficient and effective to build security in from the ground level. And that's both technical security and human security. So so the folks that are using it, knowing how to use it and what not to do. So as I walk down the street in Manhattan, uh, to and from work every day. And it seems like there's a new van or a new tent on every corner offering COVID testing. And I see people who you know, are doing the right thing by getting tested, but are just giving over very sensitive data to an organization that they don't know much about. And I'm not trying to cast aspersions on those particular companies, but systems like that are just ripe for intrusions through unsecure Wi-Fi, unsecure networks, the remote aspect of it, people just who who may not be as vetted as we want having access to that information. In terms of what happened at the Supreme Court, which as a lawyer is, is very troubling to me that there should be such a leak. And I'm sure there are going to be some cyber aspects to that. In terms of Hacktivision, as as you mentioned, on on both sides of the issue, we can certainly expect, and this ties back to what I was saying earlier about those that are not profit motivated, but rather politically or socially motivated, you know, launching attacks on both providers of reproductive health services, those that refuse to provide such services, as well as advocates and lawmakers or members of the judiciary or executive branch on every side of the issue. And you ask, what can people do to guard against that? It's really, it's vigilance and preparation. That's what we always preach. And so you have to do an honest assessment of your current information security. We always recommend that you bring in outside counsel and outside technical people to help you with that. And a lot of smaller organizations get nervous about that. They say, I can't afford it, or it's not worth it. I'm not a target. But as we see, very small organizations can very well, especially in the political realm, be targets of of Hacktivision. And they need to weigh the cost of doing nothing versus the the cost of prevention. You know, we're talking about healthcare. An ounce of prevention is worth a, a pound of cure. That's certainly the case when it comes to cybersecurity. So we always recommend technical preparation. We always recommend training of personnel so that they can be on the lookout for scams of, of all kinds. Email phishing exercises. I get on a constant basis emails that are nefarious and even someone that's always thinking about cybersecurity, I'm, I'm just one click away 
from doing the wrong thing. And so you really need to train your personnel to be wary of that. And then, especially in the healthcare arena, we need to train our people how to respond. So we need to have different teams that are doing different things. We need to have so-called C-level people that are going to run a response. But then every nurse, doctor, pharmacist, everyone that's providing patient care or supporting those who are providing patient care need to be trained in how to perform their jobs without the benefits of their electronic systems. So if those electronic systems become unavailable, they can still deliver the patient care that they're expected to and that that people's lives depend on. So along those lines, as egregious as the leak was at the Supreme Court, we've never seen a, a draft opinion leaked like this. Does this sort of give a heads up to everyone that, hey, this is what might come down, better prepare now just in case you're a, a targeted organization? I think it is. I, I don't know that this was a, that the leak was the result of a, an electronic intrusion versus somebody who had legitimate access and use that access for an illegitimate purpose. But in either way, it's a warning to everybody else because we very often see, for example, employee theft of data or employee misuse of data. And so that's something that you need to be aware of in your employee hiring process and training processes. And then as I mentioned, if it was uh, someone gaining access from the outside, again, it's a warning to people that their their systems may be vulnerable and people should think about it this way. If it were, and again, this is completely hypothetical. We have no knowledge of this yet. If it were, if the leak was the result of somebody from the outside of the court gaining electronic access to the court systems, which we would presume are among the most robust that exist, your smaller organization that doesn't have that level of the, the weight of the entire federal government supporting your security, you need to think about what you're doing and, and what more you can be doing to harden your systems. And it doesn't have to be that expensive. There are simple things that you can do, such as making sure that your sensitive files are encrypted, making sure that you're using multi-factor authentication for gaining access to your system, siloing information, right? So making sure that People only have access to the pieces of the system that they need to. Not every user on a system needs access to every department's information so that if there is an intrusion by use of, say, theft of a password, the nefarious actor there is only getting access to a limited slice of an organization's data as opposed to getting access to the entire system. Eric, aside from the healthcare sector, what other cybercrime and fraud issues are you sort of keeping an eye on these days in other industries? Definitely the, the financial sector. A very high profile one of late is in the housing sector. There was a, a report featuring, featuring the Secret Service uh, on a national broadcast about um, closing frauds where a, a nefarious actor will impersonate one of the parties to the closing of a home purchase and will get the purchaser to wire funds to them as opposed to the actual seller or the seller's agent. And those funds are gone very, very quickly. They'll, they'll be transferred out of the original bank account that they landed in. And it becomes difficult, if not impossible, for those funds to be retrieved. And in many cases, the purchase of a home is the, is the largest purchase somebody is making in their lifetime. Uh, that down payment that they're sending 
can represent a, a substantial portion of their life savings. And so people are taking advantage of the hot housing market and people's eagerness to close quickly to guarantee themselves that, they, that they're getting the home of their dreams. And they may not take as much care to vet the transaction and pick up the phone to make sure that the person they're supposed to be sending the money to is actually the person that sent the email asking for them to, to send the money. And the other safety tip there is it's, it tends to be easier to detect a fraudulent email if you're looking at it on a full screen monitor as opposed to unlimited real estate on your phone. It allows you to, to hover over it, see the complete email address, see if there's one character off from what you're expecting, uh, see if there's anything funny about the way the email is set up font-wise or image-wise. So if it's something important like hiring several hundred thousand dollars to complete the purchase of your home, take your time, do it right. Don't be so quick to pull the trigger because you may be sending money someplace you don't intend to. Related to that, we also saw the Federal Reserve actually raise interest rates for the first time in a long time. Any predicted fraud or scams that people should be keeping an eye on related to that? I think just the general financial frauds that we see time and time again, like I said, you have to be very cautious in who you deal with in all aspects uh, of your life when it comes to, to finance, when it comes to healthcare, make sure that you know who you're actually dealing with. If you think it's Amex, make sure it's Amex. You know, I don't mean to pick on them, but that's a fraudulent email we see quite often. Check the language of the emails. Uh, see if it sounds like it's written by a native English speaker versus somebody using Google Translate or, or some other way to craft an email to get your attention. But, but certainly things like swings in the stock market, changes in interest rate, those are things that threat actors will pepper their correspondence with to get your attention. Well, thank you very much, Eric. I've been speaking to Eric Weinick. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.